we've been studying a series of messages entitled Wonderful Counselor. We looked at how the Lord himself is the Wonderful Counselor. And we've looked at the, we're looking at the 16 counseling sessions recorded in Scripture where God himself counseled people with problems. Today's case study is a matter of group counseling, one of the most difficult forms of biblical counseling. And yet God himself, the wonderful counselor, dealt with Miriam, Aaron, and Moses in a way that brought about a godly conclusion. Let's bow in prayer. Father, as we open your word today, we come to it in faith. We come to you in faith, believing that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So help us to find the profit in this word today for our lives. And then we believe that all of the scripture is about you, Lord Jesus. As you said to the two on the road to Emmaus, it's all about me. I pray, Lord, that we may find Jesus in this passage today and be changed into his likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit in every believer. Then we pray for any among us today who do not know Christ yet. I pray that you would bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Miriam, Moses' big sister, the Red Sea Choir director, didn't like her brother's choice of a wife. Miriam and Aaron had opinions about his choice of a wife. How many of you have ever had opinions about somebody's choice of a spouse? Anybody here? (laughs) I've had my opinions, I'll tell you. My daughter was at Liberty University. She met a young man who happened to be from Haiti. Hmm. And my, my daughter is about as white a white person as you'd ever see. And Jimmy, who is now her wonderful, godly Christian husband and the father of three of my granddaughters, is a Haitian. It's hard to get a picture of them both at the same time. It was hard for me. I had so many issues with that. It's hard for my wife and I to cross that bridge of opinion. Hmm. What we call race in America. My father used to say, it's a great day for the race. And then you'd say, what race? And he'd say, the human race. Because there is only one race, the human race. little child came to my wife in junior church and she said, Mrs. Peters, my skin is brown. My wife was so clever, she 
pulled her hand over next to that little child, and she said, mine's brown too, just a little lighter brown than yours. I tell you, there's so many people that want to stir up ethnic hatred in our country. I don't know why, but it seems like the devil's behind it. He wants us all to choose up sides based on pigmentation and origination. How sad it is. Because this lady that Moses picked as a wife was an Ethiopian. A Cushite in the Hebrew. Probably from Sudan. She was from Africa. What in the world was Moses doing? Weren't there any nice Jewish girls? You know? I mean, that was the way they felt. You know, like, come on. Moses marries. You know, there's no accounting for who people marry. Have you noticed that? Or what they name your grandchildren. That's another whole issue. <laughs> But uh, Miriam and Aaron did not deal with the situation well. Things went from bad to worse. Now, was it a sin for Moses to marry an Ethiopian? No, it wasn't. Now, the Jews had been forbidden to intermarry with the Canaanites because of the uh, idolatry and immorality of the Canaanites. But Gentiles were always welcome to become Jews. There was a very specific process for that. And God always wanted his people to bring the nations to himself. That was his plan for the nation of Israel. That's why he planted his temple there and put the court of the Gentiles around the temple. It was to be a place of evangelism, of reaching people. That's why Jesus got so mad. Yeah, he did. He got angry. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. He got mad. Overturned those tables and threw people out. Cleaned house, because it was his house. Amen? It was his house. He cleaned it up. It was intended as a place for the nations to come and to learn about the true and living God, and they had turned it into a money-making, cheating business. How sad it is when people make merchandise of the church and the gospel. It was never intended to be a money-making operation. And yet for many it has become that. No, Jews were not forbidden to intermarry with Canaanites. How do we know that? I'll mention two people. Rahab and Ruth. Vivid examples of Gentiles who became Jews and who were included in the genealogy of Jesus Himself. You talk about being brought in. Gentiles brought in. By the way, how many Gentiles do we have here today? Any of you people Gentiles? I thought so. I thought so. Yeah. You know, there's only two kinds of people in the world, and it's not black and white. It's saints and ain'ts. Amen? There's only two kinds of people in the world. That's the big dividing line. Big dividing line. 
Have I gotten in trouble yet? (laughs) I'm just trying to stick with the Bible, folks. I want to tell you, God loves Ethiopians. Remember that Ethiopian eunuch? He'd been to Jerusalem. He'd gotten a copy of the scroll of Isaiah, but he still didn't know God. God cared enough about him to take Philip out of a successful evangelistic crusade and to airlift him down there to the desert to do some heavenly hitchhiking at the chariot. He leads the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ and he baptizes him and sends him back to Africa knowing Jesus. God cares about all kinds of people, even people like us. He is made of one blood, all the nations that dwell on the face of the earth. Acts 17.26 You can transfuse blood of the same type to any ethnic group to another ethnic group because we all bleed red. We are one race. Descended from Adam and Eve, by the way. It is evolutionists who have built a foundation for racial prejudice and hatred. They think some people have evolved more than others. Hitler believed that. And he believed that certain races should be exterminated. We believe in one race, the human race. And that we are all made in the image of God. And we are all fallen into sin. And we all need the Savior. Well, Miriam and Aaron Aaron spoke against Moses. You notice they didn't speak to Moses. Did you notice that? It's just a little point. They didn't talk to Moses. They talked about him. I can just hear it now. What do you think about Moses' new wife? Did you notice he's got a new wife? What do you think? And then maybe they'd tell what they thought. They were talking about him. How are you going to talk about your new senior pastor? I had one kind friend I was eating lunch with the other day, and he said, you know what? He said... I'm not hearing anything bad about you, Pastor. (laughs) Well, he said, except for one thing. You went over that one Sunday. (laughs) How are you going to talk about your new pastor? How are you going to talk about him? So I want to tell you something. This search committee... They're going through resumes, and I'll tell you, they're going to pick somebody really good. They're going to pick somebody really good, and you're going to pick somebody really good, and he's going to be a faulty sinner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to break the news to you. And you'll want to put him up on some big pedestal, you know. Oh, our new pastor, he's so wonderful. His wife way up there, and his kids way up there. And then one of those days, he'll say something or do something or not do something, you know, that you thought he should have done. And you'll think, I don't know, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Hmm. You ought to think about, how are you going to talk about your new pastor? Hey, maybe you ought to talk to him. Well, you say, well, I can't. I can't do that. I can't talk to him. 
well then why don't you just shut up? There's an option. The Bible uses a much better word, much kinder word, calls it forbear. That means stuff it. Just maybe don't talk. Maybe pray for him when he says something he shouldn't, when he does something he shouldn't, or he fails to do something, or he doesn't, didn't visit your, your, your grandmother's uncle's cousin's best friend, you know, who's in the hospital, or whatever it was he didn't do. You know, maybe pray for him. Maybe pray. Maybe talk to the Lord about whatever you see as being a need in his life. The Lord Jesus only used the word ecclesia twice in the four Gospels. Only spoke of the church twice in the four Gospels. He said, I will build my church. And he also said, tell it to the church. And tell it to the church was in the context in Matthew 18 of when you see a brother sinning, you go to him privately alone, and if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Why was that so important? Because there is nothing more destructive to a church of Jesus Christ than gossip. Now, I know you don't gossip here because you're all related and you just don't know who you're talking to. I know that's true. Well, maybe not all of you are related, but you just don't know where the minefields are, so you have to be really careful. Gossip is a big deal. God intended that believers would talk to each other. I see this in families. They'll say, now, Pastor, when you go to visit my mother in the hospital, whatever you do, don't tell her that she's got cancer and she's dying. What? No, we don't want to upset her. What? So everybody's out in the hallway whispering, and you know, there's all these deals going on. Hey, one of the greatest symptoms of a dysfunctional family is that they don't talk to each other. They talk about each other. And the same symptom of a dysfunctional church is where people talk about other people but don't have the guts, the courage, the love to talk to them when there really is an important issue. Now, some things we ought to just let it go. Water off the duck's back, right? Just let it go. But when there's a serious issue, if you ever have a pastor who preaches heresy from this pulpit, you better talk to him. If there is a pastor who is living an immoral life in this pulpit, you better talk to him. You better deal with it. You say, well, that would never happen here, pastor. Ooh, it will happen. And you will have to deal with it. You're going to have to face all kinds of issues if you're going to live as a Bible-believing gospel church in the midst of a wicked world. Be prepared. Be prepared. It's interesting, in 1 Peter 4.15, Peter knew about this. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. You say, I was with you on that first part. 
about the murderers and the thieves, but busybody? What's a busybody? Did you know that some things are none of your business? Did anybody ever tell you that? Do you realize? It's hard when we live in the tabloid world in which we live. And we live in a world where anybody can drag up any mud from anywhere to anybody and, and everybody wants to hear it and everybody thinks they have a right to hear it. There is a sin called being a busybody. I remember one time we were in the middle of some church troubles and one of the deacons came to me and I said, what's going on? Are you going to join this group that's stirring up trouble and leaving the church? He said, Pastor, the only way that I could stay in this church would be to rip the phone out of the wall. Do you remember phones that used to be on the wall? Yeah, yeah, that's how old the story is. Um, he said, you know, there's a, there's a telephone line here at the church and they're just stirring each other up. And we're gonna, I don't want to leave the church, but my wife just can't, she's up to here with it. She just can't even worship anymore. She's so upset. How sad it is when gossip rules the church. The other problem they had was jealousy. Look at verse 2. Numbers 12, 2. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Hey, (laughs) do you know that the Lord hears everything you say? James says that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It's set on fire by hell. And it will, like fire, cause all kinds of damage. That little piece of flesh between our jaws that can stir up so much trouble. But God heard it. Moses didn't hear it. But God heard it. And God dealt with it to defend His servant. What was their problem? They said, wait a minute. Moses isn't the only one who gets messages from God. We do too. I mean, Aaron the high priest and Miriam who had led the singing of all the ladies with their tambourines and all after the Red Sea. I mean, she says, look, God inspired Scripture through me in that song after the Red Sea. And Aaron, he's the high priest. I mean, God speaks through us. Why does he think he's all that? Why does he have to be the only one that runs things around here? They were jealous. They were jealous. Look at the New Testament commentary on jealousy. James chapter 3, if you'd turn over there with me in the New Testament. James chapter 3. James 3. I've already mentioned some of this in regard to the tongue. And he says in James 3.13, Who among you is, a wise and under, is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, There is disorder in every evil thing. Jealousy. Remember, these three are siblings. They grew up together. Brothers and sisters. 
And you talk about sibling rivalry and jealousy and things like that. And when that family stuff comes into the church, somebody else became a deacon, but I didn't become a deacon. Somebody else was put in charge of this group and not me. And why did they pick her and not me? Why did they pick him and not me? I'm just as good. All that kind of stuff. It's so sad when ambition and jealousy rule in our lives. But what was the counsel of the wonderful counselor as recorded here? God comes down. There's an epiphany. God shows up. And he does not dither about the situation. He comes down. What does he say? Verse 3, you three come out to the tent of meeting. He says, we are going to have a meeting, you three and me. And the three came out. The Lord came down. He called Aaron and Miriam when they had both come forward. He says, I want to talk to the two of you. And then he said, hear now my words. And he talks about the fact that Moses is special. And he has revealed himself through many prophets, but Moses, he speaks face to face. Basically, God comes along and he says about Moses, he's my man. Moses is my man. Now, God doesn't say anything about this woman that he married, okay? I don't know whether God thought that was a good idea or not, okay? I don't know. God doesn't give his opinion on the marriage, but he does say, Moses is my man. Do not lightly accuse him. Do not lightly undermine him. Do not divide the people of God in regard to him because he is my servant. I can't think of any greater calling than to be a servant of the Most High God to speak for God, to the people of God. And Moses was God's man that he chose. Someday, through prayer and careful selection, you will get a new senior pastor. And I believe that he will be God's man for this church. He will be a less than perfect He will be a a guy with his own struggles, problems, and everything else. But he will be standing in this pulpit and speaking for God. Do not lightly deal with him. Because he will not merely be himself. He will be a representative of the God of creation. The God who created the church. Why were you afraid, not afraid, to speak against my servant Moses? Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And God angrily departs, leaving them to think about what he just said. And the next thing that happens is that Miriam has leprosy. A leprosy that turns her as white as snow. 
do you think there's anything coincidental about the colors in this story? It's interesting. She was criticizing Moses for marrying a black woman. And I almost think that maybe God is saying, Miriam, you want to be white? You can be real white. White with leprosy. And all of a sudden she looks down and she's white. Scary thought. You see, God's counsel is backed up by God's discipline. That's why true biblical counseling is not done in a psychiatric clinic. It is done in a church. Because God has given authority to His church. He has given authority to human government, the sword. He has given authority to the human family, the rod. He has given authority to the local church. Church discipline, excommunication. You say, well, if one church kicks me out, I'll just go down the street and I'll be singing in the choir in two weeks. What did Jesus say in Matthew 18 after he said, deal with the individual. If they won't hear you, go with witnesses. Then tell it to the church. And then declare that person to be an unbeliever. And then he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's what Jesus said. I was sitting in a counseling session many years ago. John Bettler, the founder of Christian Educational Foundation up in Laverock. I was sitting in the back of the room observing and learning. And here was a couple. This man had left his wife and was living with another woman. He had children back home, but he was living with this other woman. And I don't know how she got him in there, but the two of them, they were in there for counseling. And she was crying, and he was as hard as stone. He was just, wasn't saying a word. She was crying, wanted him back. He didn't want to come back. Went on week after week of counseling and nothing happened. It just stayed that way until finally the counselor said, well, we're done. I'm going to have to turn this over to your local church. You're both members of XYZ Church. I'm going to have to go to the leadership of your church and tell them that you are living in adultery. You are unwilling to be reconciled through counseling and uh, we're going to have to turn this over for discipline. And I thought, that was a defeat. Walked out of that session, wondering what was going on. Came back next week, and they were back. And he was sorry. He was repentant. He asked his wife to forgive him for his adultery. He broke it off with the woman he was living with, and was willing to go through counseling. I sat through another 12 sessions with that couple and saw God rebuild that marriage and rebuild that family. Accountability and openness and love. I didn't understand it at the time, but I believe that there is a spiritual authority in the body of Christ when they act in accordance with the Word of God. When godly counsel is backed up by biblical local church authority, there is something very powerful about that. God Himself backed up His discipline of Miriam with leprosy. 
1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 32, the words we read at the communion service says, we must judge ourselves so that we will not be judged. And we should examine ourselves because for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. In the church at Corinth, there were people who were sick and dead at an early age because they took communion while they were living in a sinful condition. See, I don't believe that the church is just another community club. I don't think it's just a religious organization. It's not even just an evangelistic outpost. It is the body of Christ. And it has the authority of Christ Himself upon it. And all are under that, including the pastor. If a pastor sins, he is to be dealt with in the same way as recorded of every believer in Matthew 18, according to 1 Timothy. A person that rebels against the discipline of the church is going to have to deal with God Himself. What was the outcome of this discipline, Aaron speaks up and all of a sudden he's got a new attitude. Oh my Lord, he calls Moses. He's calling his brother Lord. You ever do that? Yeah. Please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. All of a sudden Aaron is confessing his sin rather than gossiping about Moses. See, God intended that believers should confess their sins to God and to one another and be healed. Confessing our own sins is the most humble thing you will ever do. We are to cover other people's sins. Yeah. We're to cover the sins of others and we are to confess our sins. And when a brother is overtaken, then we are to confront and restore All of a sudden, he's concerned for Miriam because she's got leprosy. And he asks Moses, he says, please pray for your sister. And Moses does, because he's the meekest man on the earth, amen? He does. He right away, he doesn't have any feelings against her. And he prays, please heal her, oh God, I pray. And God says, well, I'm going to heal her, but Miriam needs to learn a lesson. She's going to have a time out. She's going to have in seven days outside the camp. Because if she had been disrespectful to her father, he would have dealt with her. You know, you said every passage tells us about Jesus. I believe that Moses is a type of Christ. In Deuteronomy 18, God said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brethren. Moses was the meekest man on the earth. And when Jesus came, what did he say? I am meek and lowly of heart. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength that loves. It is strength that acts for the benefit of another. Jesus, His brothers according to the flesh, the Pharisees, the scribes were filled with jealousy and it was that was the reason why they arrested him and crucified him. It was they were jealous of his spiritual leadership of the people. 
If you try to do anything for God, there's going to be people that will be jealous of the power that you have. When you are filled with the Spirit, when God is using you in a mighty way, people will be jealous of that power that God has put on your life. Expect some trouble. So one man said it this way, the more you act like Jesus, the more people will treat you like they treated Jesus. Think about that. And then Moses and Jesus took Gentile brides and were criticized for it. Do you know who we are as Gentiles in this story? We're the Ethiopian woman. That's right. We're the Gentiles that Jesus loved even though he knew he'd get in trouble for marrying us. But I'm glad he loved me as a Gentile. As one outside of the covenant. Outside of the blessing. And He brought me in. Jesus brought me in. And now I participate in the new covenant. I have a new heart. I have a new life because of the new covenant that is in His blood which He shed on the cross for me. And now I am as accepted as any Jew ever will be by God Himself, because I am in the perfect, sinless Jew, Jesus. And in Him I participate by His blood in the new covenant. I've been brought near. He has formed the church of both Jew and Gentile who are one in Christ. We are looked down on by the world, but we are loved by Jesus And then we see Moses interceded for Miriam. And Jesus interceded for His critics and His crucifiers. On the cross, He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And even Israel will be disciplined for seven years, but then restored because God is gracious even to the gossips like Miriam. So, what about you? Do you talk about spiritual leaders? Or do you have the courage and love to talk to them? Will you commit yourself to pray for your next senior pastor and for his wife and children? Will you commit yourself to either be silent or to talk to him privately if you see something wrong in his teaching or in his life? Let's pray. Father, we come to You in humility and confession. We have used our tongues for gossip. We have talked about other people in ways that we should not have. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us with Your blood. Touch our tongues with stones from off the altar like You did with Isaiah. And heal our tongues that we might speak praise and glory and encouragement and truth in love about each other. And then may we have the courage to speak to each other when we see a brother overtaken in a fault, that we may have the love and courage to help, to restore, to build up. 
And I pray for any here today who have never been saved, who have never humbly come and confessed their sins to You and trusted Jesus to save by His blood. I pray, Lord, that You would bring them to that place of salvation today to trust in Christ alone for eternal life. The One who can wash our sins clean by His blood and grant us forgiveness and a home in heaven. We thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our deacon Alan Cotton is going to come and lead us in prayer. And I'm going to ask uh, Paul and Penny if you would please join Pastor Dan so you may greet some of the folks out front uh, as we leave today. It may be three years, Lord willing, before we get to see you again. And we're so grateful the Lord has brought you our way this morning. Thank you for being with us. Alan, would you come and lead us after Alan prays? We will sing together, God be with you. Till we meet again. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we come to you today as the God in heaven and the God uh, below here on earth. And we declare there is no other. We pray, Lord, that you will uh, lift us up, Lord, that we may follow your commandments, Lord, and, and add nothing to your word, Father, but simply obey it. We pray you will be with our families, our neighborhoods, our churches our communities, and help us, Lord, to follow your commandments so that we may inherit everlasting life. Help us, Lord, to give you all the glory in everything we do, that you may receive all this glory. And, Lord, we just love you. And Lord, we lift up today Paul and Penny Hussman, Lord, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you will bless them, Lord, as they uh, seek to deliver many in South Africa, Lord, into your hands. We just love you and thank you for everything they do. Be with us and guide us throughout this week. And we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.